0: Welcome back to free live cams episode two of the interview series. I'm here with Evan Davis. We discuss our whole history. So you'll learn all about that. We talk about sports, identity, identity in sports, and the difference between liking sports and being gay and being gay and liking sports. Trust me, it all makes sense. Evan is an unemployed sports broadcaster currently living in New York City. You should hire him. He has a mellifluous voice and sparkling blue eyes. Only one of those things will be confirmed in the next minute, but uh, I can confirm all of it from personal experience. Enjoy this interview with Evan Davis. This new microphone and sometimes it just decides to not do
1: it. So I mean it's a beautiful piece of equipment. Oh,
0: thank
1: you. D- so you is made it the distracting right
0: choice. in the frame? This is something I think about a lot as a as a producer so, and a distractible person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean there's no there's no like published video portion of this, right? Like it's Correct. only audio? So no, it's fine. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, looking at you, it doesn't bother me. I think we're also just kind of, like, all used to any kind of, uh, of these interactions is just basically, like, watching, like, a radio show. Right. So I think we're all, like, adjusting to it. I mean, personally, I, you know, like, I piloted my own, like, thing last fall, and, like, I bought a lab for a yeah. reason, you know, because this is a cleaner image. But not everybody is going to have that right. option. Um, and again, I think we're all like just adjusted to it. And certainly, like, if since this is audio only, then who fucking cares? Like, I can whatever discomfort with this odd phallus pointing out <laughs> the side of the screen, I can, I can get over it. I mean, if, if there's only if there's anything that I'm really upset about, it's that it's blocking your Space Jam poster from my view. Oh, that's better.
0: It's the best thing that I own. It was a gift uh, from a friend because... So I live in a studio apartment and basically had nothing hanging on the walls. Um,
1: (laughs) You just needed filler. You just needed
0: filler until... Well, so this is part of of the quarantine experience. Like, I bought new pillows for my couch. I bought a desk instead of working at my dining room table, which is a corner over there that you can see. Um, And so I... I wasn't really here. I was traveling a lot for work. I was traveling a lot for fun uh, in late 2019, early 2020. And so when I had to actually like physically occupy my space, I was like, wow, it sucks in here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I was talking
0: about like how I wanted maybe posters because they're big and you don't have to worry and they don't really have to match anything because they're posters. And so it's true. It's uh, it's like the coming soon movie theater poster. Uh, it's perfect. And I love so it. So this very was much.
1: actually this was actually hung in like a multiplex light box in nineteen ninety six.
0: I believe that is that is what it that's the style of it. It's yes. pretty
1: pretty cool to me. I'm
0: pretty I'm pretty into it. Are you so excited for Space Jam two?
1: Uh not even a little bit. It looks terrible. <laughs> And also, like, have you recently watched Space Jam 1? It's uh, also bad.
2: Uh, it's okay. just like we
1: were all children when it came out and there were cartoons and human beings in the same frame. So we were all like.
0: Okay. You know? Okay. So you are someone who both uh, loves film. Yes. And sports. Sure. Uh, uh, so
1: Terrible sports movie, too. If, we're, if that's the where, where you're going with it,
0: I'm going. I'm going anywhere with it. I love Space Jam. I watch Space Jam like four or five times a year.
1: That's madness.
0: I think I've seen Space Jam a hundred times. Like that's... like absolutely without even thinking too hard about it. I I've seen it at least fifty, and probably oh. closer to to triple digits.
1: All right. Well, now I'm open to being convinced because <laughs> I've never met someone so passionate, like legitimately passionate.
0: about this movie. It's just, it's fun, you know? (laughs) It's the nostalgia factor for sure. It's the Lola Bunny factor for sure. It's the sort of appreciating how far we've come from a technology perspective, the specific animation style, the other movies around that time that were terrible. I just watched, have you ever seen Cool World? With Brad Pitt and the other guy whose name I can't remember. So it's the same idea, but it's terrible. It was absolutely off the rails. And so it just just makes you appreciate Space Jam even more.
1: So that's the argument. Like, you could be watching Cool World instead. Why would you do that?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, I mean,
1: there's also Who Framed Roger Rabbit, need we forget.
0: Which is... Lest we forget. I would say the top. Like, that's, that's the top. The tippy top. (laughs) <laughs> Who thinks okay. Roger Rabbit is so good? Wow! I'm,
1: I'm I'm glad I'm glad the 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 universe is still having some semblance <laughs> of order here. <laughs> also, I never knew that like this was like a particular passion of yours, like mixing live action and animation. I
0: think it's really interesting because it's it's also um, I don't know mixed medium. I think is pretty cool in general when it's done well. I also think that it feels like the future in a way where it's kind of reminiscent of like like robot films where it's like not quite artificial intelligence but it's it's like Mm. robot and human and those like like the interaction of how a tune can act and how michael jordan doesn't learn that he too can break the bounds of humanness Uh uh-huh you know, there's more to it, right? Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just <laughs> making all this up because I love Space Jam so much. I'm so excited for Space Jam too. It does wow. look pretty bad, though.
1: Wow, yeah. I mean, like they've got like Game of Thrones characters in there. And it's just like it's it's just a Warner Brothers IP dump.
0: Which I get. I I don't know. I think that the Don Cheadle as artificial intelligent child stealer is pretty interesting um i'm really looking forward to whatever michael jordan cameo they have kept completely secret so far i it's gotta happen right i would think not
1: necessarily
0: maybe not but it has to though but i want it to
1: but also maybe not i mean i don't know i don't think that's i don't think that's anyway guaranteed really yeah, I mean, like, Jordan's doing... Jordan's living the high life, settling old scores. I mean, he doesn't need to, um... Be both real it. and imagined. Like, I don't think he, <laughs> did, he needs to... Be uh, in Space gym be in, be in Space gym too. I mean, the the only opinion I really care about is, like, what does LeBron James Jr. think about this character that's allegedly based on him that it has nothing to do with him? Mm. You know? Because yes. LeBron James Jr. is a is a is a basketball loving super early prep prospect, and this kid apparently like that plays LeBron's son in the movie hates basketball. <laughs> so what's so what is that all about? And how does LeBron Jr. feel about this?
0: So when when are you gonna do, do this interview? When are you gonna write this story? This <laughs> I'm is, I'm gonna this, this, is this is now all I care with, about.
1: Sitting down with Bronny James, yeah. really hashing it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll go out to his reps, I'll pitch him, <laughs> see, see what he thinks.
0: Okay, before we get any further down this line, um, I would like to introduce you to our loyal audience. Um, well, you're going to introduce yourself, but first, I'm going to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Jay, my pronouns are they, them. Uh, I was never very good at softball as a kid because I don't have any hand-eye coordination, uh, but something I feel very strongly about is that there should be more kissing in baseball.
1: Between players?
0: Yes, or anyone. I mean, you, mostly the players. But in the in the stands, too. That's also fine.
1: Well, I mean, when it comes to people in the stands, that's a whole... I, have a, I, I was the subject of a comedian's bit once because I argued that the kiss cam was patriarchy. And... He thought that was ridiculous and, 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 and stupid. But I'm like, you never see any queer couples on the Kiss Cam. You
0: never see any queer people you know? on the KISS Cam. I agree with that. And, feel the same. and and also
1: like this this just happened, I can't remember which stadium. Uh like a brother and sister were put on the Kiss Cam. That's not comfortable for anyone. Yeah,
0: the KISS the KISS Cam is pre- pretty uh has got a lot of issues we need to work out. I would say just more PDA in the stands. Acceptable. More PDA Fair. on the field, absolutely,
1: absolutely, absolutely needed. Butt slaps aren't getting it done.
0: They aren't because I, I feel like you know you got a stressed out pitcher, the boys all kind of huddle like just a little, a yeah, little. Yeah, just smooch. a little. Just
1: even just a peck on the cheek if you guys aren't comfortable going full lip, I can I can roll with that. I mean I'll still think unless you're like Frenching him, I, I'll still think you're a little homophobic. But like it's baby steps.
0: <laughs> we'll get there. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, who are you? Totally <laughs> listening, totally
1: listening world. My my name is Evan Davis, and my pronouns are he, him, his. And um, I I I I don't know how to top your little nugget.
0: <laughs> uh, it's hard to it's, go second.
1: Well, and also, I mean, you know, I've been in plenty of MLB Network production meetings arguing this very point that um, men need to be more affectionate with each, with each other in the workplace provided it's consensual and provided there isn't a power imbalance
0: ding dong but uh, a little smooching on the fields feel great about yeah.
1: it yeah really big do. supporter i will i will sign on i will sign that moveon.org petition today
0: <laughs> we may have to start it <laughs> yeah, right. that that may need to be our first action item post uh, interview recording um this is great. I'm so excited. So the the context of this interview here is that uh, Evan and I grew up in the same place, but we didn't know but each other growing up. We
1: didn't know each other at all because you're a few years younger than I am. Correct. But we did go to the same high school. Correct. And we knew basically all the same people. And I even graduated with your older brother. That's right. Yes. Um. And he, my favorite Ryan story is that he taught me how to clear um, uh, cookies and temporary internet files on a Netscape browser, so I could sneak watching porn when I was in ninth grade.
0: Incredible!
1: That that came from your brother.
0: What a man! That
1: little bit of info. He's a very he's a generous soul.
0: <laughs> That is amazing and a devoted listener. Ryan, I hope you appreciate that little <laughs> piece of history because I hey, certainly Ryan. fucking do.
1: Are we going to go to our 20th high school reunion in a couple of
0: years? Oh my God, is that real? That can't
1: be. Uh, yeah, because we, we, we graduated in 2003. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. Right? Don't you feel old now?
0: I do like, a But you're younger bit. than us. I do a little bit because our 10-year... So, I was always told that your class president was supposed to throw your reunions or, like, start yes. your organizing.
1: That's the traditional way of doing it.
0: It never happened. Or I wasn't invited. But also, Sam has lived in China for a number of years, so I think he, there was no interest.
1: Well, then you got to delegate. you got to delegate authority. I'm not um, going to do it. Well, I mean, there's this very interesting thing about reunions that it filled a place in the culture at one time when you may not have seen a bunch of people mm-hmm. in 10 or 20 years, and you really didn't know what the hell was going on with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, because of social media, it's so easy to keep tabs yes. on people. I personally haven't done it, <laughs> which is why, <laughs> I mean, I maybe wouldn't mind going to my 20th reunion. Um, but, like, I don't think, yeah, I don't think we even attempted to have a 10th if memory serves there was uh there was an attempt at a fifth which is always odd because everyone's just out of college and so it's a little soon it's a little soon but i remember our senior class president who was a guy named matt and his last name is escaping me but there was you know the brunswick high school class of 2003 facebook group and that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of this messaging was going on and like a year out or something he was trying to like get the thread going about like Renting a location, maybe we'd go to Thomas Point Beach, which is Aww. like a spot in nice. Brunswick, which is like kind of cute. Uh, and then like several months went by and clearly nothing got done. And then he just wrote this very passive aggressive message being like, so nobody was willing to like step up and like <laughs> say that they wanted to be involved. So I guess we're like not going to do this unless you like want to get a table at Joshua's Tavern or whatever. <laughs> That's
0: so funny funny
1: um and so i didn't i didn't travel up for it and yeah yeah then the 10th i don't think anything anything came of the 10th so and that might just be and you're telling me a similar story so maybe that's the way the future maybe class reunions aren't going to happen i would like it to because i quit facebook i've been taking a break from like twitter and instagram for for the last like few few months um and i certainly did not i mean all due respect to your brother, who is a great guy. Like, we didn't keep in touch. I don't know what's going on with him, you know? Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think it could be interesting. could be interesting to see some old faces.
0: So, okay, so this is a beautiful segue. Um that I'm, is it beautiful anymore if you announce its presence? I don't know. I'm still getting <laughs> used to interviewing people. You're only in my second interview. So if practice, practice makes perfect.
1: What's beautiful about doing this is that you have total control about how the interview looks because you can edit it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so my segue is, um, were you out in high school and the reason I ask is like would you like walk into your 20 year reunion and be like hello everyone. This is who I am now.
1: So I'll answer the second part first. Yes, I would uh, do that. I would have no problem doing that. But no, I wasn't in high school. I didn't really know in high school. Um, You know, my journey of sexual identity has been, I think, a little bit of a tricky one because I, for all of these loyal listeners who don't have any idea who I am, You know, I'm a, I, I, I am bisexual, but I am cisgender and I'm masculine presenting. So there's a lot of area there where I can, A, live the experience of a cishet person if I so choose, and I did for a long time. Um, and it also makes my desire to kind of, There's always been a little bit of imposter syndrome that I've had to fight, um, with regard to identifying myself as a member of the queer population, um, because, you know, the other part of it is that, like, I've tended to be heteroromantic, um, so I never really had any interest in dating or having romantic connections with people of my own gender, um, My person I'm currently in a relationship with now is non-binary, but that's a fairly new thing for me. Um, And so in high school, there was a lot of space to be able to say that I was straight and have that not feel Mm -hmm. like I was completely lying to people, you -hmm. know? And I think I skated on that for a while. I've always described it as kind of a reverse closeting because I'm very left and very uh comfortable around queer people and have a ton of queer people in my life and have since i was four years old when my mother uh started bringing all of her lesbian couple friends who were professors from the midwest who wanted to like move to the woods and (laughs) get away um Getting get away from big midwestern cities. These this that was her social circle, and so they were around me all the time, and so it was always normal, normative for me uh, to have queer people around. And so it was. And then I went to Sarah Lawrence College, which is you know the queerest place on earth, and to be so um, open with queerness around me, combined with a bisexual identity that I wasn't really acknowledging or dealing with, just made it easier to not deal with it. Because, like, well, I'm not closeted. I'm not repressed. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, not do- I'm not doing anything that's going against uh, who I am in some ways. And then when I, if you recall, there was a period in my life where I was trying to be a stand-up comedian. And then all of a sudden I realized when I was on stage that was all I was really talking about. Mm-hmm. This was around the, the age of, like, 25 And that's when I realized oh maybe I actually like have to deal with this Mm. and so I did (laughs) and it was great and it was so much more comfortable for me to be able to say like whatever my sexual identity is I get to set the terms of it and Mm. and um, define it the way I choose Um, not to say that like i don't I don't tend to be I don't tend to subscribe to the belief that like labels or or categories are harmful. I think that labels and categories in the hands of the wrong people are harmful, but um mm-hmm. I think it's actually very useful for us as queer people to be able to draw our own boxes um and to also show that like not everybody's gay and straight mm, you don't even necessarily are bisexual. there's all these increments in between um, as particularly when you start adding axes of gender identity and romantic identity um, and then also figuring out monogamy versus ethical non-monogamy and like where you fall into that that all of these permutations start to open up but they have very specific meanings that kind of help define who you are and what you're looking for so like what if you are in control of those labels I think it's really helpful to be able to create your own box, you know. And so when I found my box, which is being cisgender, bisexual, hetero-romantic, uh, and polyamorous, that's when kind of all the puzzle pieces starting to fit, to slide into place. And I s- kind of looked at myself in the mirror and was like, oh, there you are. Now, mm-hmm. I, see- now I see you. There were all these little things that were missing, mm-hmm. you know, and slowly coming into focus but now everything's in focus Um, and it took a while it took a long time I mean my first inkling that maybe I had some kind of sexual attraction uh, to male bodied people like maybe around nine or ten years old and it freaked me out but also I knew that again my attraction to female bodied people wasn't a lie so it just kind of it just kind of slowed the process down um, mm. but, you know, but that's, but everybody's journey is their journey and you gotta figure it out and gotta go at your own pace and, um, so, yeah. I mean, and also, what's also beautiful about being able to define your own labels is that you realize that those labels are mutable and they evolve and they can change over time and it doesn't make who you were or how you defined yourself at 25 any less value than how you define yourself at 35 or 45 or 55 um those all get to move and reconfigure and um i think that's really really healthy and really helpful um the the thing that i always say is it's like we as queer people need to be given the agency to be able to do that and mm. politically that's not always in our camp or in if you grow up in certain environments that's not always uh, available to you and that's That's the harmful part. But once we get... Once we grab the reins, fucking let us do whatever we want with them. Mm. You know?
0: I... Woo. This (laughs) is the cool thing about talking to people. Because damn... Okay. Yes. Like... Just... uh, Being queer is the best. (laughs) Uh, And surrounding myself with people who think so deeply about issues of identity and definitions of self and I it is so it's such a powerful feeling to hear someone so confidently talk about their experience in their journey and it's so valuable and appreciated and not always welcome and so to be in a position where I can welcome that and revel in it um, feels really special especially as we are sort of approaching pride and pride is a a challenging time for a lot of people I think just for a lot of reasons a labeling perspective and a perception perspective and I wonder um, if you wouldn't mind a tough question hit me uh coming coming from the perspective of like i agree with literally everything you just said so this question is not uh (laughs) (laughs) not trying not an attempt to challenge but i think something you you may have thought about before and that is um like do you think there is from the positive perspective a benefit to neutralizing or grouping terminology to help understand a perspective Um, from the negative side do you think that it's harmful to micro-label ourselves or people in our communities and I sort of thought of that question initially as a like what will make straight people get us more (laughs) and I don't really care about what they have to say but we all do kind of have to deal with straight people in our lives and I wonder how to balance explaining who you are to someone who understands all of the micro identities that you find the most comfortable and um, how you explain yourself to people who don't understand. I have really evolved over the last year. When I came out, I came out as gender nonconforming and then switched pretty uh, religiously to non-binary and now just say trans, like pretty shorthand. And, and part of that is moving toward potential medical transitioning uh, as a trans male, thinking about those questions. What do I want? What do I need? yeah what is worth the effort um and so like that's kind of my framework of like when i tell people i'm trans they get it when i tell people i'm non-binary they don't quite get it when i said gender non-conforming as a start people didn't have like really any connection to that when i tell people i'm queer they get that when i tell people i'm gay they get that um when i tell people i'm bisexual they get that and then i wonder about the nuance of the label bisexual and then I feel like I have to explain myself in queer settings sometimes um, and so yeah it's like it's such a pleasure to talk to people who get it and then that makes me immediately think of like how can we get more people to get it do we need that do we want that is it helpful so that's kind of like the context of, of this yeah. question slash prompt
1: I, I mean I think that um it, over the decades the way that cishet people react to queer folk has also changed like it wasn't that long ago that people didn't think gay people were a thing and there are still people in the world Mm -hmm. who don't think gay people exist that is a completely um You know, brainwashing esque ideology. So I think that, um, if anything, I feel like working these kinds of labels into the nomenclature and into the proverbial discourse is actually quite beneficial because it helps to normalize them and you know actually i'm not even sure if that's the right word i want to use but it ela- it forces it forces C- cisset people to engage with him and honestly it mm. forces queer people to engage with them too mm. i mean you know like uh, as, as you well know i mean i don't the, the the size of this group is is open to debate but there is a transphobic strain in in queer culture you know, and there is a... Yes, I know, do
0: know. I am a trans person on Twitter.
1: <laughs> right. You know, like, are they as large as they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? Maybe, probably not. But they're there. And and so, like, we don't have the ability to get people hip to these categories unless we just use them, you know. Mm-hmm. And... You know, queer is a great shorthand because it covers so many bases, but I think when a cishet, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like when a lot of cishet people hear the word queer, they just think, oh, you're gay. They don't quite understand the nuances underneath that, and so mm-hmm. it's it's a, you know, saying cisgender, bisexual, heteroromantic, polyamorous, like, that's a word salad, but it 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 makes you engage with that stuff, you know, if you're a parent, or if you're a friend, or if you're Whoever you know, um, I think that I think the word you used was micro labeling. I mean, I understand the other side of it that the more that we do that, the more confining the box might start to feel. And I think I think that if there are other people putting those labels on us mm-hmm. as a method of hierarchy, creating hierarchies. Or or forcing subjugation—that's da- that's dangerous. Um, but you know, the only way that we're going to be able to like get people hip to trans non-binary people walking the streets is to call ourselves if we are that trans and non-binary. Um, you know, even bisexual like. I came out as bisexual to my aunt, and she was like, why would you, or I, this is how I said it, I said that I had hooked up with a guy, and she said, why would you do that, you're not gay. And I had then immediately had all of these memories of the times when she would have a couple of glasses of wine and talk about how bisexuals don't exist. So, so, you know, that was, that was nine years ago, and like, I think she gets that bisexuals exist now. Yeah. And it's also, like, it's not our job to educate people. Like, uh, I sometimes chafe at that idea because, like, how is anyone going to learn unless they get educated? But I think it's the yeah. idea that, like, you cornering me and being like, explain yourself. Explain <laughs> what, what it means that you're, non-bi- you're non-binary and you're trans. Yeah. I don't want to fucking deal with that, you know? Yeah. Like, the internet exists. Books exist. Uh,
2: figure,
1: f- Like, figure it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? There's no shortage of information. And by the way, this is how I educate myself on a great deal of this material, you know? Um, And what does it mean when someone says, like, I am a non-binary man or I am both trans and non-binary and all the ways in which, like, a lot of people combine these labels in order to best suit themselves. Like, it's not their job to tell me you know, to, you know, lay, lay it all out point by point. That I have to accept that their identity is their identity. And if I'm confused by it, I can go figure it out and, and un- untangle what it means. Like, my sister's oldest kid just came out as trans. They're 13. They're using, they're using they, thems right now. You know, they were assigned female at birth. And my dad is still not using the right pronouns. Not out of malice, but because he literally... I'm relatively certain he has never met a trans person in his life. He can do I... it on, it. he can do it on his own. And I'm, yeah. and also because like, I'm the older queer individual in the family, like I can also take my dad and say like, stop using she, her, dude. You have to stop that. You gotta come correct. But that's, you know, it's, it's on my dad to get there. You know, it's not, it's not the burden of my, my sister's kid to do it. Um, and I think with, with, the concern about education and labeling, like we get to be whoever we want to be. And the more we use it, the more they will have to confront whatever biases or blind spots or prejudices they have. And then they got to come to the table, like, cause we are who we are and we didn't do anything wrong.
0: Yeah. And I, I think the, the support is so Valuable. I've um, <laughs> recently found myself in a community of straight people that I met on Twitter. It's a whole fun experience that I'm having in my life. Um, but I am uh, 100% the only non binary person the majority of these people have ever met. And so there is a lot of basic QA. Um, I'm an adult in my. Th- well i'm a fresh 30 but i am in my 30s (laughs) um and uh and so i like it i have been open about it i have uh solicited questions um but it does get tough sometimes where i am just like why are we going over this again (laughs) google is free my co-host said this in our, our most recent episode google is free extremely free um we also uh the age range of this group of people varies and so we a bunch of us met in person for the first time pretty recently and um, one of the one of my closest friends pulled me aside and she was like hey i don't want you to feel uncomfortable would you would it be helpful if i corrected people when they use the wrong pronouns for you And I, like, my mind exploded where I was like, what a great question. Thank you so much for asking. That is so considerate. I'm so, I so appreciate it. And I was like, usually I have the balls to correct people, but sometimes I don't. So if I don't correct someone immediately, that's your moment. And she was like, okay, got it. And we didn't really have any cases where that was put to the test for the rest of the evening because once we kind of, you know, it got on the table and, and it was, everyone was great. Um, especially the people I don't talk to as regularly, and so it was this moment where I was like, "I am trusting the people around me to care, and to help, and to understand why it's important." And it was the first time I ever had to put someone in that position of trust in such an um, like a way that felt very immediate. Um, I have. I've been out at work as non-binary for almost two years now, which feels like a fucking miracle. Um, but I still have coworkers who make mistakes, and it can be really tough when their response is like, "But I'm old and I just don't know." Right. And I'm like, "But we we do email every day, and it is in my email signature, and it is on Zoom, and and so it's, uh, I am sure that." the you know child of your sister is super appreciative that there is someone in their corner kind of helping them I hope you know so. as as a support structure because it like it and it also and I again I'm not speaking for this this person that I've never met before but for in my personal experience like having having someone in your corner is the most like it totally. makes everything so much easier and and I have this conversation a lot too where like I'm trying to convince these new friends the importance of like cis people putting pronouns in their bios or feeling more comfortable answering when asked or presenting in a group. Um, Because like it helps. It really does help.
2: Yeah. And
0: it's hard to explain. And I sort of was like, I phrased it once where I was like, okay, so imagine I have a big pride flag and it's really heavy. But if you help me carry it, it's easier. And my friend was like, yeah, I kind of get that, I guess. And I was like, it's not elegant, an elegant metaphor <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely take your point that like, if we don't just use these terms, if we don't. And I, I agree with you, normalize is not the best way to say yeah, that. I but I think I'm... from a concept standpoint, um, more common, more understood, more accepted because of regular use like it's um it's an interesting
1: yeah and i think
0: angle to go down
1: yeah and i think those two examples that you gave where your friend asked you if you needed pronoun correction help and then the older person at work who is still getting it wrong and and not taking accountability for that fact like those are, those are the contrasts, right? Like in the first example, someone didn't just take it upon themselves to like be your cisgender white knight, you know? They, <laughs> they came to you first, which meant that agency, right. agency is back in your corner now. And that's yeah. the difference. Like if, if, if someone... I never have a problem with a cishet person coming to me and being like, with genuine genuinely humble feeling saying listen i want to make sure that i get this right for you so can you let me know what yeah. to do there you know that's not the same as being forced to educate a person who mm-hmm. clearly doesn't want to make the mm-hmm. effort you know yeah i mean good on your friend for doing that and that's and that's the kind of position that we would like quote unquote allies to mm. be to be in, you know, like make, it's it's all about who who is holding agency in this moment. If it's us, that's good. If it's not and we're like trying to keep the boulder from falling on top of us, then that's not a great place.
0: Right. Um yes. Ugh, yes. Good, 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 good. <laughs> uh, I want to pivot. Yeah because I want to talk about your work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, so this is number two of unknown number of an interview series that I'm doing to kind of uh, break up some of our episodes. My co-host has been moving and works in agriculture, so is doing summer farm work and uh, farmer's markets and is working uh, an infinite number of hours. So uh, to kind of take a load off of their plate, um, I'm just like talking to cool queer people in my life. Uh, and something that I'm really interested in talking to different people about is how, if at all, their queerness informs their work or defines their work. Mm. And you were an easy uh, selection because your you mentioned it a little bit earlier, started a project that was about uh, being a queer person in sports. Uh, and that... I mean, <laughs> It's a little bit how probably we got on Space Jam uh, in addition to, you know, the poster is a perfect prompt, but, uh, you know, not everyone is interested in talking about the Space Jam poster. So I'm, I'm curious to hear uh, you to talk about that specific project, um, what you're working on now, your experiences in general, kind of any of that sort of what you're creating in regards to your queerness, if at all, you know, and I, like, I, I have sort of a semblance of an understanding of the work that you're doing already. Um, I'm excited to interview the person who's like, no, I don't really do anything gay, but I am pretty gay. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> so, um, but yes, uh,
1: the, uh, the, the, the Venn diagram of people who say that, and then also want cops at pride is just a circle. Um, yeah
0: i think that's probably right (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i'm 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 a i'm a sports television broadcaster and have worked in that area for a little over five years um before the pandemic i was working a lot at uh, mlb network doing um on-camera talent working as on-camera talent talking about baseball and have hosted podcasts and have done a bunch of things in mainly baseball and soccer and um it's a very i'm sure your listeners will be shocked to hear this it's a very heter- heteronormative business tell <laughs>
0: Kel- surprise
1: <laughs> you know um there's a lot of just lantern jawed old white men um, <laughs> you know a lot of a lot of cell phone belt clips if you catch my drift you I know certainly a lot of let a lot of, a, lot of, a lot of tucked in flannel shirts um, lot of, lot of and pleated, not in
2: a cool,
0: sexy, gay woman way.
1: No, no. A lot of, lot of pleated khakis. I mean, I could go on. but um,
0: <laughs> Yikes. The khakis is... I'm the most concerned about the khakis yeah, in all those examples, I know. to be it's honest.
1: Like, are we not even at flat fronts yet, guys? Come on. It's 2021. <laughs> so that is a place that I have not really done a lot of queer expression. And I thought a lot about why. And there was this moment, actually... It's about three years ago. I've only just like in the last year, like really started talking about this in public. Um, But there was this incident. um, There was a pitcher place for the Milwaukee Brewers, this guy named Josh Hader. And uh, he was taking them out in the All-Star game three years ago. And while he was on the mound, literally on the mound, um, his bad teen tweets and college age tweets started to like circulate. Um, you know, all, all racist and homophobic and misogynistic in in tone, and quite literally so. And um, this created such a firestorm that in just the like, hour and a half between him taking the mound and them and the game ending, he was forced to answer questions about it uh, from the press. Whoa. Three, Four days after that was the first game after the All-Star break uh, that the Brewers were playing in Milwaukee, and it was the first game that he'd be playing in, and when he came out on the mound, he got a standing ovation from the fans. And I was on the air, so that happened on a Saturday, I was on the air the following Monday, and we were in a production meeting talking about this, and as and whether or not we would do a segment about it. And I was quite supportive of doing a segment about it, but the consensus in the room was the fans were giving him a standing ovation, not because they were racist or homophobic, but because you, they, they're fans of the Brewers and you stand by your players. This was the argument. Mm-hmm. And there was another guy mm-hmm. who I was going to be on camera with, another pundit, who straight up said, well, I mean, he's just getting so much hate online, like, I don't want him to kill himself which is such an extreme reaction.
2: Yeesh.
0: That's a thing to um,
1: say. That is a thing to say. And I and I looked at him and I was like, man, he literally said I hate gay people. Like here's the tweet. I can show you the tweet. That is exactly what it says. And he's like, yeah, but he was he was so young when he said it and like he's just getting treated so badly online like I don't want him to hurt himself. That would be so terrible. And it's I just like that's not the point <laughs> the the the, point. the 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 risk of self harm relative to the um emotional harm that lgbtq plus fans and black fans and female fans are forced to deal with now that this content is out in the world, particularly brewers fans uh is shitty and that's the issue mm-hmm. But that wasn't really the feeling in the room and we spiked the segment we didn't go to air with it and the thing that i really regretted at the time was that i just didn't say guys i'm a queer bisexual person and this content is telling me that i don't belong here you know i look around this room and as far as i know i'm the only one with some kind of lgbtq plus identity and I have been told by one of the stars of the game, one of the literal all stars of the game, that uh, I'm not a human being. And that by implication, I am not welcome uh, in, this, in this space. It bums me out because most queer people don't have the platform of live national television at their fingertips. And had we gone to air with the segment, I could have said that and actually could have maybe forced a real conversation with a bunch of cishet guys who've never had to think about this and may have even like said or thought or believed some of the content that haters being exposed for. And it could have, have, what would have been the ultimate long-term consequence of that? At the very least, I could have said like, hey, this is who I am and I'm sticking up for this. And I didn't do that. And it was a bummer and something that I've regretted and have then tried to feel like, well, if I'm gonna be here, if I'm gonna do this, if I'm gonna work in this industry, I can either go on pretending that I am something that I am not, which I have been loath to do for basically my entire life once I sorted out who that person actually was, um, or I can try and create something that centers these voices. So, I, you know, during the pandemic last year, I was unemployed, and as were so many people in media, in, in particular sports media, and I was trying to think of something to do, and I decided to create some pilot shows of what would be a queer-centric sports show, um, and I platformed it on Twitch, and I live-streamed it, um, and... You know, not every episode was focused on queer issues. I didn't always have queer guests on. um, But I made a very conscious decision that, like, I was going to avoid bringing cishet white men on the show because that is the lens. That is what is considered the normative, ideologically neutral lens through Mm -hmm. which we view sports. And what I liked about the format and the way that I kind of developed it was that, it was never just going to be a show where we talk about political and identity issues off the field. It would also be a show where we just talk about like, yeah, let's just, let's go through the twins batting lineup and let's, let's hash it out. Like who's hitting well, who's not hitting well, you know, like let's, um, let's, let's just talk about, um, the WNBA playoffs. And that would by its very nature, Allow for non ciset white male voices to own the thing about sports that we all care about first and foremost, which is the games and the players. And I kind of structured it that, like, you know, the first half of the show would just be talking about games and players, and then the second half where we dig into identity stuff and politics and the way that leagues and teams and players themselves handle these issues or don't handle them as is often the case Um, but the thing that I was really kind of excited about was being able to use this show to just let queer people or women or people of color own a large piece of the day-to-day activities of sports media which is something that's never really been given them an opportunity to do You know, there's one woman on the panel or there's one black guy on the panel um, where a show like this would say, no, this this is this is your show now. Um, And it also gives me the opportunity as someone who does, even though despite a queer identity, does own a lot of privilege to be able to kind of like step back and say, now let me give this show over to you Because the beautiful thing about being a host Is that you don't always have to have an opinion about everything and You mm-hmm. often can you often can shut up and let your guests run Because the job of being a good host Is to make your guests look good mm. And so that was another chance to be able to do that And you know as As a cisgender white man I have to think a lot about Like how I use Privilege in an area where the spotlight Is by it's very definition trained on Me you know, To work in media, to work on camera, to work on mic means that I have to be centered somehow if I'm going to do it. So I either, I either get out of the business or I make myself smaller. Um, and this seemed like it was a chance to experiment with doing that, to make a show political and also have it not be political at the same time which I thought had a real potency to it. Um, I set it aside last fall, uh, namely just because like, the pandemic just did a number on everybody's mental health. And, um, and it's also very difficult to try and figure out how you monetize a project like that because the areas of the industry that offers you money to talk and develop and produce material they don't really have a lot of interest in something like this you know and so then you have to go out on your own and do it and it's very hard to make money doing that and i want to pick it up again and i want to figure out a way to make it work but how is an open question because we're yeah i mean like half the country's vaccinated now but only half the country is vaccinated and we're not out of the woods yet with the with the pandemic and yeah. the world is still not on its feet yet um and sports media in particular is not on its feet and there just aren't a lot of queer people in sports media um it's more it's it's better represented among female pundits particularly like ex-players um that's just because sexual identity in women's sports is a much more openly discussed and openly uh, engaged with than it is mm-hmm. on the male side case in point we finally have an active nfl player who is openly gay and that just happened two days ago
0: yesterday yeah yeah literally <laughs> yesterday my co-host texted me and was like i guess we're raiders fans now and i was like <laughs>
1: right. i don't really
0: want to be but i guess we are yeah i, know. <laughs> I don't know what else we could
2: do we, we, we gotta
1: support the tribe so for a piece of media to be completely concentrated on queerness, yep, it's a tough sell shouldn't be a tough sell, but it is
0: shouldn't be a tough sell is there is there a queer angle like instead of a instead of a instead of trying to find a sports angle with queer people, is there an angle of like Like, the queer angle, but with sports people, does that make any (laughs) sense? Is that even, I know a lot of sports gays, and we all kind of huddle around each other, especially during college football season, we're (laughs) like, hey, anyone around on Saturday? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I, I find that it might be easier to be queer and like sports than to like sports and be queer distinction without a difference maybe but make, mm. trying to make a point
1: Hmm, it's an interesting it's an interesting point you make to be queer and like sports rather than to like sports and be queer yeah i mean it's something it's something to think about um you know so much about so much of what queer people's stories in sports are is the fact that they're excluded mm. um You know, uh, case in point, the play-by-play announcer for the Cincinnati Reds TV broadcast last summer, a guy named Tom Brenneman, was caught on a hot mic dropping the F-word. Very, very casually. And as though it was something that he said a lot. And he was specifically specifically using it in context uh, to talk about San Francisco.
2: Fantastic.
1: Um, Yeah. Um, And... You know, he was fired as a result, or he resigned, you know, which means he was pushed out. I can't remember exactly which. But either way, um, that's what is normal and what is standard in sports. And um, the F word is still tossed around a lot at live events, either directed at players as a way to erase their masculinity or toward fans who don't look like every other sports fan. Um, You know, um, queerness is sold as either artistic or a feat, and therefore outside the bounds of traditional masculinity, which is what sports are supposed to represent. And so it's a constant battle to allow queer voices to be heard in sports in any shape or form, Um, whether it's athletes being out or even in a place like where I used to work, where to the best of my knowledge nobody was out and I would look around on ESPN and Fox Sports and NBC Sports and so many other outlets and I wouldn't see too many particularly male bodied people who were openly gay maybe not any I mean actually somebody did say to me at one point it's like I think you might be the only one Evan I'm like I know that that can't at least in terms of being out and being open like that doesn't feel like it's possible yeah. But maybe it is, and um, that's that's just always just, that's just always a steep hill to climb. There was an incident uh, during the um, uh, in soccer in the European Championships this this past week, where um, Allianz Arena in Munich, Germany, where um, Bayern Munich normally play, they're hosting European Championship games, and the city of Munich wanted to project um, rainbow colors outside the stadium in honor I saw of. This in honor of pride, and UEFA, which is the governing, governing body of soccer in Europe, um, told them that they couldn't because it would be too political a statement. Now the subtext of this is that Germany and Hungary would be playing the game inside Munich, and Hungary, as we all know, is uh, slowly collapsing into homophobic autocracy. And so they decided that it would be too much of a political provocation against Hungarians Mm. to do what is literally the barest minimum uh, in the month of June. (laughs) Change the
2: light pattern. Just
1: to change the light pattern. And it's a reminder that what is considered ideologically neutral still is Mm. cisgender heteronormative identities and beliefs that that somehow that is not a political statement which is of course ridiculous and that anything that steps afield of that very narrow strip of highway is somehow calling attention to itself as a political event and so much of sports is not wanting to make waves because the institutions that control leagues, teams, player behavior are so potently and powerfully cisgender and heteronormative because so much of the identity that we attach to sports from a very young age is with a traditionally masculine lens. And because masculinity is such a like fucked up and toxic thing, any threat to it is existential. Mm. And so which is why we use the word homophobia, right? Because people are terrified of the idea that they might have some kind of attraction to somebody of the same body gender or somebody of the same sex would be attracted to them. Like it's an existential threat in their minds. So when you attach sports to that, it is explosive, you know. The US Women's National Soccer Team, which is a pretty gay team in the in the aggregate until even five years ago there were players who anybody who paid any attention to the sport knew were gay but they weren't out they weren't they weren't public because they were terrified because their entire lives these women had been told that you lose your endorsement deals you lose sponsorships you lose the support of fans if you live openly as a lesbian this is the message that they're told and if you think women's soccer players are getting that message, what do you think NFL and Major League Baseball players are getting? Mm. You know um, And that trickles down from the players to people in the front office to people in the media. You know You look around press boxes and in, in, in locker rooms, and especially in baseball, it's 80 percent white men. And hardly any of them are living openly as queer people. That just continues to reinforce itself over and over again. And are we better now than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Yeah, sure. Everything's better from a certain point of view, but it's still not great. So it's a a tough thing to be able to try and build an entire sports media platform around queerness or try and flip it and reverse it and say well, it's a queer media platform that involves sports. I mean, anytime time those two things intersect, there's going to be conflict in the mainstream. And we live in a fractured media landscape, mm-hmm. and everybody can find their lanes, and everybody can find their niche. And so we don't have to worry so much about mainstream attention, You know, particularly like in podcasting or internet media where there are people who make excellent livings either as podcast hosts or as YouTube hosts or whatever, who I have never heard of, you know? (laughs) And these aren't necessarily people who are only targeting Gen Z and therefore I'm out of touch. Like, these are people my age or older that I've never heard of because they have their lanes. And, And it might be that something like this can be created for that. And, you know and and every queer sports fan like a like like moths to the flame will come to me you know um yeah. but it's uh, it's an infrastructure that's going to take a long time to build and ensure that you know i can keep the bills paid and the lights on um but this is we're this is a transitional moment you know i'm thinking about it a lot more seriously than i was 9 months ago because I'm fully vaccinated and we can all start to think about entering the world again. Um, but it's also a reminder that like most straight people don't have to think about these things, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just so easy. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, a lesbian couple who I'm friends with who are trying to get pregnant and they're like all the hoops that we got to jump through and these breeders, all they got to do is just get drunk one <laughs> night
0: and it's over.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's like too many whiskey sours plus my ovulation window is open and I'm toast.
0: Ding ding ding. Wow. It's it's so much to think about because it we'll have to do a part two mm. because I could keep you for another hour. Sure. Um because yeah, just a lot of a lot of threats. Um as I mentioned, uh, as the one queer person in or Um, The one who talks about being queer the most Mm. Uh, in this community, sort of micro-community I'm in right now, we're always constantly talking to each other. It's nice to shut up and listen (laughs) for five fucking minutes Um, instead of just being like, bleh, I'm trans. Everyone listening to me talk all the time about everything. And everyone is very sweet and they do listen and they're very generous uh, in trying to understand. But sometimes I'm like, yeah, listening is nice also sometimes. Um, but yes, so many, so many threads. Uh, I want to wrap up with a lightning round. Oh boy.
1: All right. I'll try and keep it brief.
0: Okay. Favorite sport. Baseball. Favorite team.
1: Don't have one anymore. Grew up loving the Braves, but, um, not anymore.
0: Are you from it? No, it's there.
1: You said it's a lightning round. This is a long story.
0: Okay. That'll be, that's how we'll open part two. (laughs) Um, I'm a fan of the, the the Green Bay Packers. Why? Don't know. Who, who knows? Random Brett, selection.
1: Yeah, Brett Favre won a Super Bowl when you were five. Maybe that's it.
0: Uh, Aaron Rodgers won the Super Bowl when I was 20.
1: There you go. And he's cute. And
0: he's super hot.
1: He's very hot.
0: Uh, God bless. Aaron Rodgers, if you're a listener.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he is.
0: A person can dream. <laughs> um, okay, what sports what sports do you like to play?
1: Um, I play softball. I really enjoy playing softball.
0: Are you good at it? No,
1: I'm a good first baseman. I'm I'm good defense. I'm a left-hander and I played first base in little league and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively athletic and first base seems like it's the easiest defensive position, but particularly in softball, like you're handling the ball as a first baseman so much, no matter what level of the sport you play. And then in softball like no one's throwing it on target (laughs) so you got to know you got to be able to pick it out of the dirt a lot and I can do that
0: okay um what is a sport that you don't know a lot about but you like to watch anyway
1: Mm, that's a good question um I don't really watch sports that I don't care about uh (laughs) that's fair because I was about to say, well, curling, but no, I actually know a shit ton that's, about curling. That's I love everyone's curling. answer. Well, no, but I actually like. I like. I met John Schuster after he won the gold medal. Like, I know a lot about curling. John okay. Schuster, everybody. Yeah.
0: I don't know who John Schuster is.
1: He's he won. He was the skip for the uh, U.S. men's team that won gold in Pyeongchang. The skip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. So that's that. That wouldn't actually be a legitimate answer.
0: We're all frantically googling right now.
1: Yeah. I like. I mean, I like watching cricket I mean even though it's completely over my head I mean mainly because it's so like it's it's like it and baseball are in the same family if not the same genus so that's always interesting to to look at and then of course like there's so many Olympic sports that come around every four years that no one engages with and then suddenly we have very strong (laughs) opinions about you know just on the level of like tactics and strategy so the Olympics are coming up and I'm sure I'm going to engage with that
0: um my final thought is uh, come to Queens on like a Saturday morning and mm. we'll go watch the cricket players in the park.
1: Oh, sure, yeah.
0: Because everything I know about cricket I learned from a four-hour Bollywood musical I used to watch <laughs> in middle school where the farmers played the British colonialists. And they beat them. Cricket, and they win... Spoiler alert, if you're about to go watch Lagon for the first time, so everything I know about Cricket is from this film that I've seen maybe, again, 25 or 50 times.
1: I know the movie uh, Lagon. I have not seen it, but it has a very big reputation, and I've always meant to see
0: it. It's superb. Uh, Bollywood, dancing, yeah, sports, history, period piece. It's got everything. And I went then, out with a girl last spring. Who is a big cricket fan. And I was like, Oh, when you hit it over the barrier, you get six points. And she's like, What? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm
1: sure it was a huge turn on for her. Like, Oh, yeah. they know, they know their stuff. It worked.
0: <laughs> it did work for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we will, we'll pick a local team and we'll become super fans.
1: I am uh, well, of, I mean,
0: Queens cricket.
1: <laughs> uh, Northeastern North Queens, such a large South Asian contingent there that does not mm-hmm. surprise me. Is this in Corona Park where you go?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. cuz I
0: usually go for runs on Saturday mornings. Yeah. And uh pre-pandemic uh and then now sort of getting back into it, the the like middle-aged dad club soccer teams are back out there.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Beautiful. The most beautiful like cross I've ever seen was just like this chubby <laughs> old dad who is like at least 45 and just sailed mm-hmm. it. Right. Oh, incredible it's the best
1: yeah he probably played like on a u15 team in (laughs) poland or something so he actually knows what he's doing um yeah i mean yes you get to see bowlers and batsmen and you see all the wickets Mm -hmm. and the whole bit
0: and you just go back and forth it's perfect it's it really is a great sport it takes like four days
1: it can yeah
0: it's like long-form performance art honestly like it really (laughs) it intersects with so many interests that i have like Yeah, let's get super into cricket. (laughs) I think this is a good... This is a great idea for us. Uh, Evan, thank you so much. Um, This was truly a treat. Um, I can't wait for round two. I'm going to stop the recording now. And then we'll say goodbye. Um, But thank you. Any final final words? Any last minute?
1: Just, Jay, thank you so much for having me. It's been so long since I've seen your lovely face. And... So it's just been wonderful to catch up. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be a great one.